Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Politics with Amy Walter from The Takeaway. All right. Do you need a break? Maybe some TV? Luckily, there are countless political dramas and comedies to choose from. But with Washington, D.C. feeling a bit like a reality show... They weren't laughing at me. They were laughing with me. We had fun. Is there still room for political fiction, or are Americans feeling the fatigue? I sat down with some writers to find out. You really can't surpass with fiction sort of the outrageousness and the sheer incredulity everyone feels about what's really going on now in Washington. That's Paul Redford. He's worked on the West Wing, Designated Survivor, Alpha House, and Madam Secretary. We hear a lot from our audience that they wished uh, Washington worked the way it, it does on our show. That's Barbara Hall, the creator of Madam Secretary. It seems inexhaustible as a, as a source of inspiration for people in, in at least the comedy piece. And that's Gary Trudeau, the cartoonist behind the Doonesbury comic strip and creator of Alpha House. We got them all together and tried to get me an acting gig, or at least some answers as to why they think there's still a role for political fiction. And as Gary just hinted, comedy is one thing, but drama, well, that might be another. There seem to be a very large, enthusiastic audiences for late-night comedy right now, uh, which is just, you know, marinating in this stuff uh, day after day after day. It seems inexhaustible as a, as a source of inspiration for people in, in at least the comedy piece. Now, as far as drama or even dramedy, it gets a little trickier. The word is that, that almost nobody has had any success in trying to put together a show, a, a drama, that um, speaks to the current moment. I wrote a show uh, recently about the Russians and the Russian interference and got nowhere with it. Barbara, what about you? You have a show that's on network television in Madam Secretary. What has been the secret to your success? And are you feeling some of this pressure from either viewers and or the sort of suits in the business about political drama comedy? No, not at all. Our show spanned the election. So we started one administration and then had mm-hmm. to continue our story post-election. And and so we've had kind of two different experiences. But the mission statement for this show in the beginning was that it was a place where we could talk about politics in a way that wasn't so polarizing, because even then the feeling was polarized. And so we didn't ever identify political parties in our show. It's a show about the State Department, of course, so it's about foreign Mm -hmm. policy. So we kind of found our way around that and really uh, tried very hard for the first couple of seasons to make it a nonpartisan show. And, you know, then after the election, the climate changed it was very different. We still struggled to talk about issues um, that weren't, you know, hot button issues or wedge issues. It was still about diplomacy. But then, you know, the rate at which um, things happened politically began to outpace us. We, we tried to stay a little ahead of it, and now we just can't. And now we also are in kind of an alternate reality because this election has never happened in our show. It seems like the political shows sort of span one or the other side. It's either going to be this idealistic, aspirational. And so I announce to you tonight that I will bring the full resources of the federal government and the full reach of my office to this fundamental goal, 
we will cure cancer by the end of this decade. Or it's House of Cards and it's all just cynical and depraved. For those of us climbing to the top of the food chain, there can be no mercy. Or it's Veep and it's just so over the top ridiculous that we shouldn't take politicians seriously because they're all just buffoons. All right, I got to get going. I got to go make noises out of my face hole or whatever it is I do. Well, it seems part of the fun of, of House of Cards or Scandal or those shows was uh, we all enjoyed them because we knew they were an exaggeration. And now everything in real life seems beyond exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't surpass with fiction sort of the outrageousness and the the sheer incredulity everyone feels about what's really going on now in Washington. So you can't use, you know, a satirist tool, which is to... Uh, caricature and bring out the reality that way because the reality already seems to be a caricature. Of course, it's not the only tool in the toolkit. Um, you know, hyperbole is just one. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of other ways in, as as Saturday Night Live and 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 uh, Colbert and the others prove. Uh, you know, day after day. I'd like to start by answering the question that's on everyone's mind. Yes, this is real life. This is really happening. <laughs> which we tried to do in both shows that I was associated with, Tanner and Alpha House. Please, don't tell me this thing was staged. I'm not saying that. Good. But I am saying we shouldn't say it wasn't staged. Oh, God. This is real. Did you know? Wait, don't answer that. I can't afford a Washington lawyer. I don't know anything about anything because there's nothing to know anything about, as far as I know. Right? Right. There are really two ways in um, for for political shows. You can you can either try to insert your characters, your stories, your sensibility into the current reality and make them part of it. Is and that seems to be the way that I'm most uh, suited to. Just because I, I I write the same way in the comic strips, so it's sort of intuitive for me. And the other way is to set up a parallel universe, and it can be evil, as in House of Cards, or it can be aspirational and and. Uh, where most conflict is interpersonal and where the outcomes uh, make you feel good. As West Wing often did, you always left cheering your favorite mm -hmm. characters in West Wing. You know, it's not that one is a better approach or they're just different approaches. And, you know, as I say, that's it, being actually in the game and, and having your characters players or pretend players <laughs> like <Yeah>. the, <laughs> where, where fiction meets uh, nonfiction is kind of an interesting space for me. Well, and Barbara, in your case, you actually, you ha it's fictional, and then you have real live people like Hillary Clinton and Madeleine Albright and Colin Powell show up. Listen, I, I won't take much of your time. I know that you all have other meetings. and Elizabeth, there is no more important meeting for any of us than this one right now. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Tell us how, what the, what the thinking is and in, in why you bring in real people uh, into a fictional world? Well, we bring them in when it makes sense to the story we're telling and also when it doesn't break the rules of our reality. For example, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, but hadn't run for president, so she can appear in her capacity <laughs> as a former Secretary of State. But there are certain realities we can't break because, as I said, this election never happened. And, um, you know, and we've had to, this year especially, create some scenarios that parallel what's happening in the real world. These things that would never have happened under our 
president. We had to create a way to make them happen because the show was becoming, it just felt like a quaint period piece or something. It just, you know, <laughs> if we didn't deal with some of these issues, you know, so we had to find ways to deal with the discussion of nationalism and family separation and the argument about climate change because we couldn't just leave that out of our universe because it just felt too quaint. The other problem with introducing real people into your show is is that for the most part they're horrible actors and you <laughs> you then in the early days um you know you'd see a politician like tip o'neill showed up in cheers once and they're so awkward it's so painful hey you know you look a little like uh tip o'neill yeah. you know a lot of people say that really i'm a better looking fellow than he is oh my god you are tip o'neill what are you doing here in cheers well i'm walking down the street a lady stopped me started to tell me about her philosophy of life, her philosophy of government, and so I ducked in and thought I'd have a quick one. They don't have that kind of timing and presence and all, all the, the whole skill, skill set of, of actors. So what we found, uh, because we did it quite extensively in Tanner, and, and Robert Altman liked to work very sort of spontaneously, and so we found that the way around that problem was to put them in situations where they were most themselves and we wouldn't write script. I would describe a scene and, and where we wanted to be at the end of the scene. And then he was endlessly patient with just kind of letting um, these non-actors find their way through it. People's ideas. He had Kennedy, he had Martin Luther King. I mean, where's his ideas? Biden, instead of coming out and just plagiarizing. He's going to put all the faces around him. He's saying that ideas are his currency. Well, if that's his currency, then let's see the color of his money. He's a lovely man. That's, that's all he is, as far as I'm concerned. He's the perfect vice president. <laughs> if you give them direction to speak passionately uh, about things they care about, or you give them a goal and just let them get there in their own way, we found that was better than than with actual scripts. Now, having said that, I'm a total hypocrite because I did write all the lines for our <laughs> our, our, our cameos in in Alpha House, but I'm a you know it's a different kind of uh, show mm -hmm. than 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 Tanner was, which was sort of had a documentary feel to it. That rule generally holds for politicians and sports figures that. You know, <laughs> they take you out of the show. There is an exception, though, for, for news anchors and media figures. Very often we find no actor can really get the rhythm right or get the presentation right of actual newscasters. Senator Smith, so much has changed since we last sat down. You'd just been reelected. And now you find yourself incarcerated. It's not enough to win the nomination, but for him to win, President Underwood, he still needs these superdelegates. He won the popular vote when Dunbar withdrew, but you're saying he doesn't have a technical majority. The most inspiring choice for a vice president, right? I mean, I mean a well-respected operator, pragmatic. But let's face it, this is probably just a nod to Congress. I think all of us find that actually if you can get a real media person uh, That's true. in that role, uh, it actually increases the believability. It feels like Wolf Blitzer mm -hmm. has held up his hand more than most. Uh, he's <laughs> been in hundreds of things. Um, Everything he's in. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's in movies. He's in commercials. He's in... <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I'm available. Is it, what's, what's, the, what's the pay scale kind of like? There, you know? there used to be a kind of firewall, um, and the networks were loath right. to, to let their right. um, their news talent um, wander over into the other division. But I think that's long since uh, gone away. For those of us who live and breathe Washington, do you care what we think? 
about your shows? I know we did on, on West Wing, which was, you know, at the time, West Wing was a real long shot. There was a rule, long-standing rule, you can't do politics on network television. And if you do, it's always some exaggerated conspiracy thriller where it's always the president's evil chief of staff and <laughs> or it's mm-hmm. the vice president. Uh, this is before that became true in real life. Um, and good on TV. I mean, Homeland, yeah, Homeland's fantastic. TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so our first year of West Wing, we couldn't get any, you know, we, we were able to talk to a lot of Washington insiders, but they, we could tell they were, we could hear them rolling their eyes and saying, you know, we're Hollywood and we won't get it right. But after we were on for a few episodes, I think a lot of sort of Beltway people woke up to the fact that, oh, they're really trying to get it right. I work at the White House. Wow. Humongous whoop. Come on. He's communications director. It's a decent-sized whoop. Tyler, no fooling around. We have 15 minutes to get to a plane that is three miles from here. That plane, I swear to God, is taking off at 1 o'clock. It's taking off at 1. Yes, it is. Are you you guys stupid or something? It's 1.45 right now. It's 12.45. No, not here. It's not. Oh, my God. She's right. We changed time. We changed time zones? It's a uh, common mistake. Not for the U.S. government. What a schmuck-ass system can this possibly... What is this, a joke? Serve my country! Okay, this is a whole new thing now. My guys are going to need to walk this off a little bit. People started to come around in a big way to the point where, you know, Bill Clinton was pitching us uh, story arcs. What did he Uh, pitch you on? I can't remember. It might have been a version of the thriller he wrote with James Patterson, or I don't know. You'd have to ask Aaron Sorek, (laughs) (laughs) because he filed it away. We might have, we probably used a version of it, but I can't admit that, because then we'll have to put his name on it. (laughs) Alpha House is based on actual real-life members of Congress who do indeed share a house together, or did share a house together. That's right. It was uh, Dick Durbin, and and I think Schumer was actually mm-hmm. a part of that uh, that group. That's it right. was sort of a rolling cast of characters. Nothing went on at Brigham Young. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> well, that's not what your old friend and teammate Van Pingree told me. He said that you guys had some pretty crazy times on the swim team. Okay, I, I know what you're going after here, Shelby, so let's just get it out there. There are were a couple of times, five, six at the most, when just before a big meet, in order to get psyched up to give us an edge, Ben and I did coffee. Coffee. Coffee, we did it black, I'm not proud of it. Once uh, I sort of committed myself to that project, I heard that there was a female version of it with uh, congresswomen, and I thought, oh, that's so much more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Barbara, what about you? I mean, you're tackling some pretty sophisticated issues, and I'm wondering how often it is that you are talking with the insiders and people who are actually in, whether it's in Washington or specifically in the business of dealing with these geopolitical world issues? We talk to them all the time. We work with a media group called Glover Park Group, um, and mm. they are made up of people who are, uh, have worked in some form of um, um, policymaking um, in Washington. And um, we run everything by them. We talk all of the issues that we want to do um, through with them. We care very much what Washington thinks about the people who are doing these jobs think about whether or not we get it right. But we also want to make it entertaining. So we kind of walk the line 
line of don't tell us what would happen, tell us what could happen. So we will basically come to them with we want to do this foreign policy issue. What What's the right country and what, what would be the United States interest there and what would be a, a great diplomatic solution? And Is that the biggest hurdle that you have is folks in Washington are just a little too cautious. They aren't thinking in the same way that you are about. They, they need this really interesting story arc and they need it to be completed in 30 minutes. And, you know, that they're constantly saying to you, no, 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 that that just couldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. What's the biggest pushback that you're getting when you're talking to to folks in the business here? We get some areas where they just say that's a non-starter, that would never happen. We recently, Mm -hmm. last year, we did a a show about um, taking uh, the nuclear arsenal off the hair trigger response. It's called de-alerting. We've been on this posture for over 50 years. What else do we need to know? What are you getting at, Beth? Isn't the problem the policy itself? Being on hair-trigger alert to order the destruction of the planet? Like you said, it's worked for 50 years. I didn't say it's worked. It's more like we've been lucky. The Russians are on ready alert, too. What choice do we have but to counterbalance? De-alert our silos. And some of the guys that we talk with um, were or former Pentagon guys, and they're just like, no, 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 nobody's interested in that. It's a non-starter. They're, that's not even a discussion. And, you know, we just kept pushing because in, in our world it could be a discussion. We are an aspirational show. Let's show people what it would look like if you could get any of the, you know, nuclear. So there is a paradigm. We can say, well, why can't we use this model? And... Um, and uh, and so we get them to follow us into our aspirational fantasy of doing something that seems to them impossible, but they can talk us through what it would look like if we could get this to happen. And was there something that seemed impossible to happen pre-2016 that you've actually written about this? <laughs> well, I was, I was just thinking. I mean, this is always a, a barrier when writing these political shows is you get shut down by saying, well, no, that's, that's just beyond the bonds of reality. But now... Uh, you know, reality has exceeded those bonds. In in Designated Survivor, we were trying to find, you know, a way to highlight uh, uh, Natasha McElroy, um, who played uh, the president's wife, and give her a bigger role. So, well, why not have her appointed, you know, attorney general, just like uh, JFK appointed his mm-hmm. brother? Oh, no, that could never happen. <laughs> There's now, you know, a clear, <laughs> bright line between members of the president's family <laughs> And government. And, you know, a year later, we saw that just blown all to heck, uh, along with a lot of other things. The new normal, there's no normal now. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it does give us license, but it also makes our jobs harder because, as Barbara said, in, in normally in television, you're confined in writing political shows of stories that can only take uh, 24 hours or three days. And before now, government operated on a much slower pace. But now you see... Every day the headline is changing. Every day some earth-shaking event is superseded by <laughs> uh, another earth-shaking issue uh, designed just to make you forget the last earth-shaking issue. Reality, again, is more on a television rhythm now than uh, ever before. So is that good for business then? I don't think it's good for our business so much. <laughs> our selling points are kind of going away. We just We have to compete with the sensationalism of what's really going on. It's really good for our business. It's a golden age. You know, Trump has been baked into our business plan for the last three years, and <laughs> you just, uh, he, it's the gift that just keeps giving. Can you all talk to us about the, the partisanship of your viewers and whether that's something that you know about or think about? 
Well, we think about it a lot. I mean, as I said, when when the show began, the idea was to be able to invite everyone to the discussion. And because, again, we're we're a State Department show and we're talking mainly about foreign policy, and really we we are a problem-solving show. We create these issues in foreign countries and then, um, you know, show the the solutions to to these um, situations. So people are sort of engaged in fixing the problem and not paying attention to to some hot-button issue. And because we avoid domestic issues almost entirely, we don't have to get into a lot of things that are um, so-called wedge issues. There are a couple of issues that we take on that people take on bridge at, but for the most part, they you know, hang in there to, again, as Gary was saying, they're invested in these characters and they will kind of go with them through their jobs and even disagree with them a little bit because they are interested in seeing how they do their jobs. Our audience wants to see people doing well. Uh, and that's what makes them heroic, not not what party they're for. Delete vigorously from the first sentence. First paragraph. Three, section seven. We're not going to vigorously pursue campaign finance reform? No, we're just going to pursue it regularly. Not vigorously. Not tonight. McGowan says we're fine. He feels the word vigorous is inflammatory. Change chokehold to tight grip. Is that it? Yeah. No, Sam's still on. We got like four minutes, Toby. Where are we? Sam's still on. Bob Novak just said this was the speech of my political life. You know how many times I've heard that? I was always surprised because West Wing has always been held up as a, you know, classic kind of liberal fantasia. Um, How many uh, uh, conservatives and Republicans are still big fans of the show and come up to me and tell me? Yes, memorized whole episodes. (laughs) Congress people. And what they were watching for is just watching a politician of whatever stripe be very good and have ideals. And certainly on both sides, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell on our show always said this, nobody sets out to be a bad guy in politics. (laughs) They all have their reasons. They all believe they're doing right and they're doing good. Everybody wants to see someone doing that. (laughs) And you can put a label on it or uh, as, you know, as Barbara said, you can be very artful about not putting labels on it. You still feel you're watching uh, a government the way you want it to see run. Do you guys ever think in the future, like, okay, if I'm writing, if if I'm thinking 10 years from now, I'm going to write a show about this era. You know, maybe you can't write about, as we discussed earlier, maybe you can't write necessarily about some of the issues we're tackling right now, whether it's Russia or whether it's, you know, this current president. But 10 years from now, what do you think the shows are going to look like that talk about this era? I still think the the Russians are a great story that someone's going to yeah. tell, if not me. <laughs> and and uh, maybe ten years from now, it'll be safe to go back to them. Uh, I, I did I did have a, a fascinating conversation with with one executive who um, I will remain nameless, and and she said, uh, "Well, you know that that we can't possibly do a, a show about Russians because we're hoping that our programming, you know, we're we're in talks with the Russians about our programming being there." And I said, "What?" You've got a hundred movies that feature Russians as the bad guys and like really bad guys. Mm-hmm. And and you're worried about a show about, you know, Russian hackers. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other interesting show that could come out of this era is a, is a, a very interesting legal show, which is this mm. is the era where it was tested whether or not we are a country of laws and and what that looks like. And, um, you know, we're sort of living through that right now that, you know, sort of testing the how it all works through the legal system, both on a local and federal level. So there could be an, an interesting law show in there. Barbara, Gary, Paul, you guys have been great. 
Thank you for sharing all of your insights and your wisdom and, of course, the humor. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was fun. And you know what? If Wolf and Rachel Maddow and John King can do these cameos, why can't I? What do you think? Should I try out for a Madam Secretary gig? If you think so, go ahead, tweet at them. They're at Madam Secretary. Oh, and another thing about that Indiana time zone from the West Wing. Time zones? It always bugged me that a Democratic White House was spending time in Indiana, a deep red state, just days before the election. That's just preposterous. If we were to update this for the modern era, we'd put Josh and Toby and Donna in Arizona, where they forgot that the state doesn't recognize daylight savings. It's all yours, Sorkin. You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Amy E. Walter, and the show is at The Takeaway. Before I let you go, I wanted to give you a heads up. There won't be a new podcast next week, but lucky for you, there are two out today. That's right, two for the price of one. So get both podcasts, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Amy Walter. This is The Takeaway. 